All right, we're going to do a short study tonight because I do want to pray again at the end, but we're going to be ambitious, okay? We're going to look at four different passages that are familiar. So let's start in Genesis 39. Genesis chapter 39. All of us, as we just kind of heard in those prayer requests, have been in difficult situations in our lives. Some of those decisions have been caused by poor decisions on our part, um, whether we've not trusted the Lord or been disobedient or just been foolish in how we've handled things. Sometimes those are caused by what other people have done to us, and many times that's unfair, where we were uh, opposed for walking with the Lord or we were just um, mistreated in a job or a friendship or or a church, or somebody defamed us because they were angry and jealous. Some, some kind of situation where we were just treated wrong. And then there are other times, there's a third time, where the Lord allows and even initiates a trial because we need a greater depth of dependence, and we need a greater depth of maturity. So he brings those difficulties into our lives because it's the best way to get our attention. Now, I was thinking about this um, this morning because in each of those situations, whether it's a crisis we've caused or a crisis somebody else has caused or a trial that the Lord's allowed, we kind of feel trapped. We're not real sure how to get out of it. Uh, We kind of struggle to to make sense of what's going on. And many times we're concerned about how it's going to affect us and how it's going to affect other people around us. And, and I was thinking about this, it, it kind of becomes uh, an emotional and situational jail, kind of a prison, kind of something that, that we feel trapped and kind of caught up in. Now, I don't know about you, but being in jail is probably one of the worst fears that we have, right? Especially if you've been put in there unfairly. I can't imagine what that's like, that feeling of not being able to escape especially if you know that you've been put there unjustly and wanting to get out and, and, and not being heard that you don't deserve to be there. We've had cases about this in, in law where people have been unfairly accused and, and then the DNA evidence comes back 30 years later and they're freed. And you wonder, what was that person thinking all that time knowing that they didn't deserve to be there? And it's got to be frustrating and I can't imagine the claustrophobia of being confined to a cell. Some of the situations that we find ourselves in, in our relationships, in our job, and whatever, kind of give us that exact same feeling. We're kind of trapped. We're kind of claustrophobic. We're kind of caught in what to do next and how am I going to escape out of it. And and we need to learn as believers not only how to deal with that and not only how to survive it, but how to turn it into a point of joy. And how to get to a place where the Lord can use us and bless our faithfulness. Now, several times in the Bible, in fact, I was kind of surprised as I started this study, how many times in the Bible somebody's put in jail. And some of these are very, very familiar people to us and the situation that they were in, uh, kind of literally and spiritually. So as I was seeking the Lord um, about tonight's study, he brought this to mind. And I started to develop it, and there were four very familiar people um, that I want to look at tonight who were thrown into jail. There are a lot of other examples in the Bible, and I'm sure those uh, are teaching points too. But the Lord highlighted these four particular people um, because the reasons that they were in jail parallel some of the situations we find ourselves in. 
And I learned as I studied, and I hope we're all going to learn tonight, that it was important to see how they reacted. So we're going to do a quick walkthrough of these four situations. If you look on the back of your song sheet, if you didn't already see it, um, I've got a list of each of these four people and kind of the key verses um, that, we can, that we're going to read just to save us a little bit of time. But feel free to turn to the passages, uh, take time later on in the week to study these more in depth. But in this study, here's what I want to do. For each person, I want to see the reason that they were there I want to see the reason that the Lord was with them and then their response to being in jail in that moment, okay? So the reason they were there, the reason the Lord helped them, and the response that they had, all right? First one is Joseph. You see that at the top, Genesis chapter 39. Now, we know this passage well. Joseph was 17 years old. He was the son of Jacob, had 11 brothers, and for some reason, his dad favored him. And it got to the point where his dad gave him a special coat that was made of a lot of uh, different fabrics that were different colors. So every day it was very obvious that Joseph was the one that his father uh, liked better than everybody else. Now, Joseph didn't ask for that. He didn't ask to be favored by his dad. He also didn't ask for the dreams that the Lord gave him, which when he interpreted them, uh, it was hard not to see that the interpretation was that someday his brothers were going to bow down before him. Now, that, as you can imagine, did not sit well with the other 11. And there was a lot of hostility and a lot of resentment that was there. Um, and, and the text says, and I, I thought these words were interesting, the text says that they hated him, they were jealous of him, and they couldn't even speak to him on friendly terms. Now you think your Thanksgiving's going to be bad. They, they, they will not even talk to him. They hate him so much. And it gets to the point where one day they're kind of sitting around and they see him walking up and they say, you know what, let's be done with this. Let's just kill him. Let's just put him to death. And Joseph walks up, hey guys, what's going on? And they grab him and they start to murder him. They start to murder their own brother until Reuben, who's the oldest, says, no guys, stop. Hold on a second. We can't do this. Let's take a second to think. So they throw him in a dry well and he sits there and they eat lunch. And as they're eating lunch, they look off in the distance and there's a caravan going by uh, on its way down to Egypt. And one of them says, you know what? Here's a better idea. Instead of killing him, because then his blood's on us, let's sell him and let's take his coat and rip it and put animal blood on it and act like he died. So we'll go back to dad and we'll say, hmm, tragic accident. Joseph got mauled by an animal when in fact he's going down to Egypt. Now, from that moment on, Joseph's essentially in jail. For the next years of his life, when he finally gets to Egypt, which is a symbol of separation and a symbol of bondage all throughout the Bible, when he finally gets to Egypt, he's put in a cell. And because of the sin and because of the plans of others, he goes there, but the Lord has his hand on Joseph, and he finds favor with the captain of the guard. And he becomes the captain of the guard's personal servant in his house. But we all know what happens next, right? The captain's wife, who's kind of trashy, sees Joseph and she thinks he's handsome. And, and she starts to put the moves on him and say, hey, come be with me. Joseph says, not on your life. I'm not going to do any of this. So one day she tries to grab him and he runs out and he leaves his coat there. And she starts to cry that he's guilty of sexual assault and he gets thrown back into jail. Now, none of this was in his control, 
And the reason why he's in jail, this is a first thought, the reason why Joseph is in jail is because of the jealousy and betrayal of others and because he decides to stay pure. Now, many of us have experienced that kind of unfair situation where we're accused and we're blamed and, and for something we didn't do and then we're punished for it. You may be able to isolate times in your life where somebody treated you unfairly. You, you made a decision not to yield to sin and, and to keep your reputation pure. And because somebody was angry about that or they wanted you to share in their sin and, and you didn't want to be part of it, then they turned on you and they became angry and jealous and they damaged your character. We're certainly seeing that in culture right now. We're seeing that in the center of the news. Whatever you think about guilt or innocence, that is definitely at play. And it's hard to maintain our reputation when the enemy brings accusation, which is why it's so important. And all of us are kind of older. We can't really go back and change our reputation. But it shows how important it is to stay pure, right? And we have kids. And right now, what should we be teaching our kids more than anything? Your reputation will follow you. What you're doing now is going to have lasting impact. So we have to teach them well on that. But I want you to notice how the Lord blesses Joseph. Look at verses 21 to 23. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to us and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer didn't supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Now, here's the reason it states it very clearly why the Lord was with Joseph. It's because he had a pure heart. And he was faithful to the Lord in whatever situation he was in. So he's put there unfairly because of the jealousy and, and anger of other people and because he decided to stay pure, but God rewards that. The thing he got punished for, he now gets rewarded for, being pure. And then I want you to look at his response to being in jail. He doesn't sulk. He doesn't complain. He doesn't say, well, life is so unfair and I didn't do anything wrong and it's unjust and, and, and he doesn't start yelling at people because it's easy to become bitter when it's unfair, right? It's easy to just get so uptight. Why, why is this happening? And I did nothing wrong. And, and, and even years, months and years later, we're still dealing with that kind of stuff. And our mind screams for justice. Well, I was misunderstood and, and I was mistreated. And then if we allow that, it becomes anger and it becomes emotional isolation. Because here's the thing. Once you realize you can't trust many people, you start to trust nobody. And once you don't trust anybody, you don't want to be with anybody. So Joseph, notice him, he takes on new responsibility and he remains faithful and trustworthy to the point that the jailer gives him unsupervised oversight of the whole jail. Now you would think the jailer would be cautious because of the charges that Potiphar's wife levied against him, but Joseph's character was so strong that it overrode all those accusations. And eventually, you know the account. He becomes the second in command, even though he's a Hebrew, and he saves the country from drought, and he reunites with his brothers. So, so the power of integrity here, all because he's faithful to the Lord. Now, look at the second one. We'll go a little faster. Turn over to Daniel chapter 1, or if you want, just look at the verses that are already there. Daniel chapter 1, and again, the situation 
is that Daniel is in jail. Now, he's a teenager at this point, just like Joseph was. And he is put with the rest of the nation into captivity in Babylon. Now, Joseph, we don't, I mean, excuse me, Daniel, we don't really see being in a cell, but he's in bondage. He can't get out of this. And the reason he's in bondage, and sometimes this happens to us, is because of the sin of other people. The Lord had warned Judah over and over and over again, stop worshiping Baal, stop rebelling against me, worship me, listen to my prophets. God kept sending prophets. Prophets are telling him, you need to repent, you need to repent. Judah says, we don't want to repent. We don't care about what the prophets are going to say. We don't care about what God thinks. We're going to do our own thing. And they continue to live however they want until at one point God says, enough already. Sometimes we find ourselves in this environment. We don't want to be part of it. And we look around and we say, wait a second, I'm striving to, to be pure, but, but there's such a resistance to the Lord, and now I'm getting caught up in the consequences of others. I think this is, this is absolutely where Christianity and the church is right now. I think we are getting caught up in the culture. We're not really standing against it. And we not only need to stand against it, but we need to be disciplined in our lives so we don't compromise. Because what's the devil constantly trying to do? He's trying to get us to be compromised and discouraged. So Daniel, who's not in a cell but has no freedom because he's selected right at the outset to be one of a group of youth that is going to go through a three-year indoctrination process to become Babylonians. He gets a new name, and he's trained in, in the ways of Babylonians. They want to change the culture to kind of defeat the nation once and for all. So they take the young people, and they indoctrinate them, and they give them the best food and the best uh, lodging, and, and they're hoping that they will then become Babylonians. So there's no real escape. There's no real hope of getting out of this. He's stuck with this. But notice verse 8, right at the outset, Daniel determines in his heart that he will not become a Babylonian in any way. He loves the Lord, and he's going to stay steadfast in his commitment to the Lord, so he makes a deal. Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or the wine that he drank, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. See, even though his situation is completely out of his control, it does not mean that he couldn't himself make definitive choices not to be damaged by the sin of other people. And this is where we have to stand as believers and as a church. Every single day, we have to make decisions. Are we going to allow our heart and mind to be protected and our reputation to stay secure? Or are we going to not guard what we listen to and what we, um, and what we uh, look at and, and who we hang out with? Are, are we going to keep ourselves open so we can be defiled? Or are we going to safeguard our heart and mind so we stay walking with the Lord? This is what Daniel did. And the reason why the Lord was with Daniel was because he determined not to defile himself and to take a stand for the Lord. And any time we take a stand like that, I am not going to be defiled for the Lord. God will always come by our side. And the response that he has is so powerful 
Because think about it, you're a young teenager and you get taken into captivity and they change your heritage and they start to indoctrinate you and you have to take a stand when nobody else wants to take a stand. But, but Daniel doesn't get angry. He doesn't curse God because of Israel's mess. He doesn't yield to sin, even though he has an advantage and he could easily get away with it. Instead, he's courageous and he's disciplined and he's discerning. And he says, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stand for God. And God blesses him richly. And like Joseph, he becomes number two in a foreign nation. He becomes the second in command and actually has a ministry to the king. So we've got Joseph, we've got Daniel. Look at the third one real quick, Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 and Peter's example. Now, Peter's situation is that he had been put in jail because Herod had martyred James, John's brother James. And when Herod, the text says, saw how much it thrilled the Jews that he had started to quash Christianity, he grabs Peter. So the reason Peter is in the jail cell is because the enemy, not just Herod, but the devil, the enemy wanted to mistreat the church. That's in verse 1. And Peter had been one of the most vocal in defending the church and defending Jesus. Now, one of the great challenges of being on the front line of evangelism and being on the front line of ministry is it puts us right in the center of the enemy's crosshairs. And he will do anything and everything through anyone and anything to try to discourage God's people from serving the Lord. So it shouldn't be a surprise. It shouldn't, it shouldn't take us aback that, that much of Acts deals with the opposition and persecution of the church because the gospel was radically changing lives from Pentecost on. And the devil hates the gospel. That's why the gospel is so important. Anything the devil hates, I'm on board for. And he hates, hates, hates the gospel. Now, Peter was arrested several times, but this is one of the most serious because the text gives the indication that Herod had in, in, intended, it was in his mind, that he was going to martyr Peter too. And Peter undoubtedly knew that. So what's he thinking? He's sitting in the jail cell. James had just been martyred. Herod grabs him. Uh, he says, you're going to come up before trial tomorrow. And, and, and what would you be thinking in that moment? Sitting in a jail cell, alone, away from the people that you trusted, that, that you knew would stand with you, knowing the inevitable is coming tomorrow, you're probably going to, to be murdered tomorrow, wondering why God would allow this. Why would God allow a faithful servant who was, who was standing for him to be persecuted? Now, I don't know about you, but I've asked that question a couple times in my life. Not that I've endured anything nearly close to the level of what Peter's facing. But as believers, we all face some level of mistreatment, right? Jesus said we would. You stand for me, you're going to be persecuted. You stand for me, people are going to say all kinds of things about you. You're, you're going to take it on the chin from me because I stood for you, and now when you stand for me, you're going to take it too. Servant's not above the master. If I dealt with it, you're going to deal with it. So we can only imagine here what Peter's thinking. And the text doesn't say it. But interestingly, of the four that we're looking at tonight, this is the only one that focuses on what other people were doing. Look at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. 
here's the power of what we just did. Here's the power of the body of Christ and the support that we need to be giving each other when someone is in a tough situation. It says the church gathered after Peter was taken and they fervently prayed. And that may be one of the reasons why the Lord allowed this, to remind his people of the power of calling on his name and that he will answer and be with us. Maybe by chapter 12, the church had gotten a little lax. Maybe there wasn't the fervor of Pentecost when they gathered and they were all one and they shared and they, and they fellowshiped and worshiped every single day. Maybe, maybe every day started to become every other day. And maybe every other day started to become every third day because life is busy, right? And maybe, well, I'll just see you, I'll see you on, uh, at church on Sunday. We'll just get together then. And maybe the fervency for prayer had kind of dulled down a little bit. So Peter goes to jail, and all of a sudden they remember, wait a second, God's given us tools to deal with this. So they gathered a house together. Because what does James tell us? The effectual prayer of a righteous person avails much, Right? And as they're praying and crying out to the Lord, you can hear and and sense the agony, and and Peter's in jail. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. Peter's behind double doors with multiple guards in chains. I mean, he's way back in there because Herod makes sure, you can see at verse 4, he delivered four squads of soldiers to guard him. So Peter's not getting out. And yet, the angel comes And everybody that's guarding him falls asleep, and the chains fall off, and the door opens wide. And Peter's like, okay. And he walks right out of the prison. Nobody stops him. Now, what would be your first instinct? What would be your first response? I am so out of here. I'm taking off for Galilee. I'm getting away from this place. But notice what he does. He follows the Lord's leading, and he goes right to the house where the prayer meeting's happening. He's not intimidated by Herod because he's just seen God's hand and he sees the greater purpose and he goes right back to his people and he says, praise the Lord. The girl answers the door's like, it's Peter. And she doesn't even let him in. She runs, tells everybody it's Peter. They're like, no, it's a ghost. Like they probably already killed him. It's, it's a spirit. She goes, nope, he's at the door. Peter walks in. Can you imagine the celebration? Can you imagine the praise that went up to God at that point? Because he had been faithful And because the church had prayed. Oh, prayer does so much, church. Prayer does so much. Look at one more real quick. Turn over a couple pages. Acts chapter 16. And let's finish. Paul and Silas. Let's add him to the list. Paul and Silas. This is one of at least three times, the first time of at least three times when Paul was put in jail. Here he's with Silas. The reason they had been put into jail is earlier in the chapter Because there was a girl who had a demon in her, and she was being manipulated and used to to make predictions and to be a fortune teller. So Paul walks up to her and says, devil, get out of her. And the devil comes right out, and she's healed. Well, the people that owned her and were using her to make a whole bunch of cash got really ticked off. And they stirred up everybody and complained to the authorities. So the authorities throw Paul and Silas into jail. See, here's the reason Paul was in jail. Because he was challenging the work of the enemy and calling people to conviction. And any time we challenge the work of the enemy and call people to conviction, that that brings around serious spiritual opposition. 
So they beat the stew out of them, severely beat them, and they put them in a jail in stocks, but the Lord was with them. And one of the main reasons that the Lord does something miraculous here is that Paul and Silas were completely committed to their calling and their mission. We talked Sunday about David and the power of one life committed to God. And here again, we see what the Lord will do when we're sold out to him. When we are given fully to him, we're willing to serve and we're willing to sacrifice and we're willing to speak up. When we're willing to do that, God starts to work. Now, they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know if they're going to get out of this. And the ferocity of the attack and the way they were beaten kind of signals that tomorrow we're going to be executed. But I love this. You know this passage well. Their response is just amazing. They don't resent the calling to be evangelists. They don't start crying out, well, God, why did you do this? And we were serving you, and this isn't right. And they don't allow this trial to make them defeated. Instead, look at what they do in verses 25 to 30. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly it came, an earthquake came and the foundations of the prison were shaking and all the doors opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. The jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open and drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice saying, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, despite being beaten and bloodied and bruised, sitting in a cold cell with chains, no food, no light, no water, just, just brutalized, what are they doing? They're praying. And they're praising the Lord because they see as an opportunity to worship Christ. And in doing that, notice in the text that the other prisoners are listening to them. Now, this is not a show, well, let's just let's act like we're okay. No, this came from the heart. Praise you, Lord. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being persecuted for your sake. Praise your holy name. Jesus, we pray. I mean, just imagine what that sounded like in this dark prison, and all the prisoners are going, what? And then the earthquake happens, and the chains fall off, but they don't run away because their integrity and their desire for people to come to Christ is so strong that when the jailer comes in and starts to stab himself, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. The jailer comes in and goes, I get it, because he heard the singing. What do I have to do to have what you have? See, Paul used those jail experiences to come to the mindset that he says in Philippians 4.11, I've learned to be content in all things. In each of these four accounts, we're done. They trust in the Lord. They rest in his sufficiency. They understand his purpose. They look for the opportunity to be used. And this happened in extreme circumstances. So as we experience trials and we experience times of difficulty where we're trapped and discouraged, we can look at their example and say, I need to respond like that. And we can be confident. Listen now. We can be confident that when we stand for the Lord, he will stand for us. And he'll work in powerful ways. He'll work in miraculous ways. Joseph and, uh, Joseph and Daniel couldn't have imagined leading a foreign country. Peter couldn't have imagined walking right out through four sections of guards and knocking on the door and going to the prayer meeting. Paul and Silas couldn't have imagined that that jailer would get saved. So like we prayed earlier, we're going to do this just to close. 
I want you to think about that situation that we talked about earlier. Bondage, pain, trapped, job situation, financial situation, relationship, health crisis, a wayward child. We, we've touched on all of those tonight. What is it that you need to bring before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't want to be discouraged by this. I'm going to trust you with all my heart, and I'm not going to lean on my understanding because, honestly, I don't have any more. And I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to acknowledge you, and you will direct me. You'll direct me. I just want to be faithful and steadfast. Oh, come on, we can never pray that enough. Lord, make me faithful. Make me steadfast.